last week, one of the evenings last week, I wanted a snack in the evening, and uh, there was a box of frosted flakes that was on the counter, and I was like, man, that, that looks really good. Uh, the problem is, for me, I'm lactose intolerant. Now, before you, like, get your phone out and email me, you know they have uh, substitute products for milk, and they make pills. Yeah, I, I know all those things, but I'm like, you know what? Do hard things. Milk. And so I had a nice big bowl of Frosted Flakes, and it was really, really good, and the milk uh, tasted good, and I was miserable all night long. So I tell you that to say the name of this series is not Do Dumb Things. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. This series is called Do Hard Things. And the, the series is about doing the right thing, even when it's sometimes the hard thing. And remember, our example that we keep going back to is Jesus. Jesus is going to be the example of doing hard things that we're going to keep coming back to every week. Remember the story when Jesus, this is in Matthew 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness, fasted and prayed for 40 days, right? So he was hungry, he was tired, he was physically just beat down after that, as you can imagine. And that is when the devil came to tempt him. Remember this story? And so you think about that that situation that Jesus was in, and the devil himself is the one that came to tempt him, it doesn't get much harder than that. And yet, we know that Jesus was sinless, perfect, and he did the right thing, even though it was the hard thing. And so we just keep coming back to him as our example. Remember when Jesus was arrested in the garden? Remember that night? Uh, We read about that in all four of the Gospels. And when the the guards came with Judas and this whole scene and it's tense and it's scary and some of the disciples are, let's fight, and and there's just this really tense scene. Jesus reminds his disciples in that moment, he said, guys, listen, if, if I wanted to, I could call on tens of thousands of angels to come to my defense at any moment. And the same thing Well, it was true when Jesus was being beaten, when Jesus was being spit on, when he was being tortured, when he was being crucified. At any moment, he could have said enough. He could have put a stop to it at any moment, and he didn't. Jesus did hard things. And we are so thankful for that particular hard thing because that is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Uh, Because Jesus was willing to do the right thing, the hard thing, the only thing that could make us right with God, we don't have to spend our lives wondering or even being afraid of what's on the other side of this life. Because the sinless sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient to cleanse us from our sins when When you and I trust Jesus as our forgiver of sin, as our Savior from hell, we make Him the leader of our life. Not only are we guaranteed a home in heaven with Him forever, we're also given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit transforms our lives and helps us do hard things. Jesus is our example when we want to find someone we can look to to see what it looks like 
to do hard things, to do the right thing when it's the hard thing, we can look to Jesus. Now, this morning, we're going to focus in on a particular word. Now, I say do the right thing when it's the hard thing. We have a word in our English language for that. And if, you, uh, don't, if it doesn't come to mind right off the bat, all you have to do is look at the title of our sermon today. You've maybe got paper notes when you came in. You're using the digital notes. It'll eventually pop by up on the screen. Uh, the word is integrity. I want you to say that word with me out loud. You ready? Integrity. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Integrity is doing the right thing, even when it's the hard thing. Psalm 15, 2 to 5. Now, I just want you to listen to that. You can look it up if you want, but I want you to listen because I'm going to read it out of the New American. I was reading a bunch of different versions and uh, there's just different word choices uh, from the original language that are chosen, and the word integrity is chosen in the New American Standard. So that's, I just want to read you this, uh, this passage from there. It says, one who walks with integrity. You might have a little bit different word there. It means the same thing. One who walks with integrity practices righteousness. So this, this, these verses are going to describe what integrity looks like, what it means, Right? One who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, speaks truth in his heart, does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor brings shame on his friend. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment. In other words, he keeps his promises even if it hurts him, even if it causes him loss. And does not change. Doesn't just change his mind. Well, I don't, I don't want to do it now. Keeps his word. He does not lend his money at interest. Doesn't take advantage of other people. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Listen to this part. One who does these things, this description, this list, and it's not an exhaustive list, but this is an example of some of the things someone with integrity will do or not do. One who does these things will never be shaken. When we have integrity, a person with integrity, that person's life cannot be shaken. And we'll, we'll flesh that word out a little bit together this morning. Integrity results in a life that cannot be shaken. If you want to take some notes this morning, I think in your notes I have integrity is, and maybe some dot, 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 and you can fill in the blank. So I'm just going to give you... Uh, my, best, uh, my best definition, or we're going to kind of build a definition of what integrity is, and you can maybe take some notes if it's helpful to you. And integrity, I've already said, is doing the right thing even when it's the hard thing. So let's just start with that as a baseline uh, for our understanding of what integrity is. I want to pause and say that integrity is not perfection. Integrity is not perfection. If in, if integrity required perfection in our lives, then there would be no one with integrity except Jesus, because only Jesus is perfect, only Jesus is sinless. So when we say integrity, uh, we're not meaning that the standard of that is perfection. Integrity, when we fail, when we fall short, owns up to those shortcomings, owns those failures, and uh, does whatever is required to make it right. That's integrity. Integrity is also not compartmentalizing our lives 
and living one way in this compartment and another in this compartment. Here's what I mean. So there are some people who see themselves, see their lives in, in compartments. I have my work life. I have my social life. I have my church life, my family life. I have my private life. And I act one way in my church life, and I act a different way in my work life, a different way in my family life, and so forth. That's not integrity. Integrity is living a consistent life as a whole, that we are the same person at, uh, at work or at school that we are at church, that we, uh, that we are the same person in our family at home that we are, or as we are, in our family when we're in public. There's not different standards depending on what environment I'm in or who I am with. Integrity means that we live consistently no matter where we are or who we are with. Integrity is living what we say we believe. It's not just what makes us look good. We say we believe that we want to live a Jesus-centered life. We say we believe in certain standards, and, and integrity is going to live those things out. Not just when it makes us look good, but all the time. Integrity is who we are when no one is looking. Integrity is who we are when no one is looking. And I want to make a distinction between integrity and reputation. Reputation is what people think about you. Reputation is what people think you are, who they think you are. Integrity is who you really are. Integrity is who you really are when no one is looking. And integrity results, if you and I have integrity, that results in a life that cannot be shaken. One of my favorite stories involving integrity is about Old Testament Joseph, right? There's Old Testament Joseph and there's New Testament Joseph. Now, New Testament Joseph, right, married Mary, uh, took care of Jesus, right, kind of a stepdad to Jesus, however you want to define that in your mind. But anyway, you have New, and he was full of integrity for sure. I don't want to diminish New Testament Joseph's integrity. But there's just something about Old Testament Joseph, the son of, uh, one of the sons of Jacob, that, uh, that just inspires me when I think about integrity, when I think about doing hard things. One of the people that I think about is Joseph from the Old Testament. And if you don't know much about his story, we're going to jump into his story in Genesis 37. Would you join me in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 37? We meet Joseph from the Old Testament uh, in verse 2. He's 17 years old when we meet him here. Verse 2 says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks, and he worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives. So Jacob's got a couple wives, and has sons to uh, these wives. It's kind of a weird thing, but that's how things were in the Old Testament. And so uh, Joseph's got these half-brothers, and they're, they're shepherds. And, uh, and so we meet Joseph at 17, and we find out, when you read through his story, you find out that Joseph is his daddy's favorite. 
And if you know his story, you probably know about this, this special coat that his dad gave him, and he, and he showed him favoritism, and his brothers hated him for that. Uh, so there's this whole dynamic within the family where Joseph's dad thinks he's the golden child, and Joseph's brothers think he's the devil incarnate, like they hate him. And so you got this dynamic going on in Joseph's family, and it says in, uh, in verse 3 that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So there's some different reasons. I'm not saying it's right to favor one kid over another, but Joseph is definitely the golden child. But go back here to verse 2. It says that Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. And we read that, and without the bigger context of the the greater storyline of uh, all the details that are happening between Joseph and his brothers and who they are and and the way that they're living their lives, uh, it might come off uh, just within the context of that one verse. Joseph being a tattletale? Is he some kind of brat trying to get his brothers in trouble? What's going on here? As I read the story of Joseph and I read more about his brothers, I don't think that's what's going on. I think Joseph was like the one kid among all these boys that had integrity. The details recorded in Genesis paint this picture of his brothers out there doing whatever it was they were doing that they shouldn't have been doing, doing things they should not have been doing, and Joseph wouldn't cover for them. Joseph wouldn't lie for them. Dads know, right? Moms know. They they know. They might not know for all the details, but like, all right, something's going on, right? That's just how parents are. We know. And so you can maybe imagine this scene where Joseph comes in from out in the fields and like, what are these guys doing? I'm hearing this stuff from the neighbors. You know, what, what what are they doing? And so there's this opportunity for Joseph maybe to cover for his, I don't know, Dad, I, I didn't see anything. But he doesn't do that. And that's the picture, I think, that's being painted uh, here. And as the story unfolds, we see Joseph's brothers, they hate him so badly. It says in one verse that they couldn't even talk civilly to him. That they couldn't even say, uh, just have a, a general conversation of civility with him. Not very WWJD, I know. But it gets worse. Not only, not only could they not only uh, talk to him in a civil way, there's some of these guys that wanted to murder him. Murder him! Not like, oh, I'll kill you. You know, sometimes you say things in anger and you don't really mean it. Like, you shouldn't say that. But sometimes people say things that they don't mean. No, these, some of these guys wanted to murder their brother. Now you're starting to get maybe a little bit pi- uh, better picture of, okay, maybe, maybe this is one of the reasons why Jacob likes Joseph more. Because uh, these other guys are just terrible. Their character is terrible. So they're having this conversation. Like, Joseph's, uh, we, we hate him, and well, let's kill him. And some of the other brothers, no, we can't kill him. And so they, they throw him in this pit. And they agree, uh, let's sell him into slavery. Still really bad. Like, not murder bad, but still really bad. And so that's what they did. They sold their brother, this caravan comes through, uh, they weren't gypsies, but you know, in modern day, like these, these people come through and uh, they sell their brother into slavery. 
And then they lie to their dad, like, which I understand. I mean, you're not going to go back and tell your dad, hey, by the way, we sold Joseph into slavery. Like, they're not going to do that. Uh, so they make up this story, and they, they take that, that special coat, rip it up, kill an animal and soak in blood. They had this whole thing. They had this whole cover-up. Go back and tell their dad that they found this ripped-up bloody coat. It's Joseph's, and uh, he must have gotten tore up and eaten by a wild beast, I think is the phrase that they use. Like Bigfoot came in and just tore him apart. Terrible, right? And I want you to think about that family dynamic. If that was your family dynamic, imagine that that's kind of the relationship that you have going on in your family, that your siblings hate you so much they can't even, they can't even have a civil conversation with you. And, and a lot of it is just because you won't be part of whatever it is that they were doing that they shouldn't have been doing that you won't cover for them, that you won't lie for them whenever they get caught. I mean, just imagine some of the terrible things that these guys must have said to Joseph. How intimidating that must have been. Do you think, I mean, imagine the conversation where maybe Joseph comes in from the field and their dad's like, hey, what, what's, what's going on with these guys? Imagine that pressure. How hard would it be knowing full well that if you tell the truth and you tell your dad what these guys are up to, what that's going to mean? Like, these guys are going to pound the snot out of me. It wouldn't have been easy to tell the truth, to do the right thing. And I'll say this too. Most of us, like, most of us want to be liked by other people. Like, there's probably someone in the room like, I don't give a rip what people think about me. Like, there might be someone who's like that. But most of us, we want to be liked. In general, we, we want to be liked. We want to be accepted by other people, especially our family. That's no fun when your family doesn't like you. Most of us have this desire within us to feel liked and, and, or, or to be liked and to feel accepted. It's not just students. Like, I, I know... Students, uh, we kind of focus in on peer pressure and, and this, uh, our high school, junior high students, this, uh, this desire that, that, that they have to be liked, and, and they'll oftentimes compromise their faith in order to be liked. I lived that. I experienced that. There was a few years uh, that that, was, that defined me. Like, I get that. That happens. But it's not just students that feel that pressure. Adults feel that same type of pressure at work because we want to be liked by our coworkers. Sometimes we feel that same pressure even within our families. And if someone that you like, someone that you care about, someone that you want to, to, uh, to have their acceptance and you want to be liked by them and they ask you to lie for them, That could be a hard thing to keep your integrity. I had a friend, uh, I went to, I graduated with this guy. I uh, had a friend who went to military school after we graduated. And, and unfortunately, he got kicked out of military school. And the reason he got kicked out was because he had some friends there that they did something, they, they broke the rules. His friends broke the rules. He didn't. Uh, he didn't go and do what they did. 
uh, but they got they got caught and they were questioning you know they what happened trying to put together uh, who was involved and whatever and he lied for them my friend covered for them and when they finally figured out all the the people involved or whatever my friend got kicked out the same as they did he he wasn't out doing what they were doing but he got kicked out of school for lying about it covering for his friends why why did he get the same punishment because that school values integrity that much. They have that high of a value on integrity. It's an unfortunate thing. It can be hard. It can be hard because he was just trying to help out his friends, right? The story continues. So we see the scene. Uh, His brothers are terrible, and they sell him into slavery. And then there's a whole other story happening in the next chapter that's kind of weird, and you can read it on your own. It's, it's a tough one. Then we jump back into Joseph's story in chapter 39. And, in, and we find in chapter 39 that Joseph, this, you know, he gets sold to these traveling people, and, and they then take him to Egypt, and they sell Joseph to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was uh, an Egyptian military officer, not just a military officer. He was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguards. Now think about the, what that would mean. So when it comes to integrity, do you think Potiphar has a high value on integrity or a low one, right? He's in charge of the Pharaoh's safety. The men under him, the bodyguards of Pharaoh, have to be men who can be trusted. Do you get that? So integrity is a huge value for someone like Potiphar. It says within these verses, uh, if you look at verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So this wasn't pleasant, it wasn't fair, it wasn't right what happened to him, but here he finds himself, and it says the Lord was with Joseph, and he succeeded in everything that he did. As he served the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this. He, He realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. And this pleased Potiphar, so he gave him more responsibility. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. The only thing that Potiphar worried about, says here, is what I'm going to have for dinner. The Lord was with Joseph, and certainly that is a big reason, right? God's blessing Joseph, and then because of that blessing, Potiphar gets blessed. So that's part of the reason why the acceleration in responsibility. But without integrity, that doesn't happen. Just as big of a reason why Potiphar was willing to trust Joseph with everything was integrity. Joseph was a man of integrity. Here's the thing about integrity. Integrity is easy to lose. And once it's lost, it's really hard to rebuild. Integrity is easy to lose. Hard to rebuild, but easy to lose. 
Look what happens next. So Joseph's in charge of, of everything, and it says at the end of verse 6 that he's really handsome, he's a good-looking guy, he's well-built. And unfortunately, in verse 7, we find out that Potiphar's wife noticed that. And she, which we're about to find out, is not a woman of integrity. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully, and she came to him and she said, Come and sleep with me. And she demanded this. Like this was, she was uh, very, uh, very aggressive about this. Joseph refused. He said, Look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except for you. Because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. But she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Not a one and done situation. She just keeps coming at him day after day after day. But he refused to sleep with her. He kept out of her way as much as possible. Just tried to avoid her. Especially avoid a situation where they would be alone. Verse 11, one day, however... No one else was around when she went in to do his work, or when he went in, sorry, to do his work. And she came, grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, left his cloak in her hand, and he ran from the house. Joseph held on to his integrity. And I just want to pause at this part of the story and just talk about temptation. Because there's certain temptations in our lives that can be really hard to say no to. And it might be different for each one of us, right? This situation uh, for, for some would not be hard at all to say no to. And then there's others that this would have been a tough thing to say no to. Because you, you got to imagine that Potiphar's wife had to be beautiful, you think about the position of authority and wealth that this guy has. We have to make an assumption that she's, she's beautiful. It would have been tempting. We think, about, uh, we think about temptation in our lives. How easy would it have been for Joseph to give up his integrity here? And I don't know what that would be for you, but is there something in your life that, man, if, if, if that temptation came at you, it would be hard to say no? I got, a, I got a text message uh, recently, and I woke up in the morning, and uh, pick up my phone, check my phone, and there's a text message on there, and it came through like at 2 in the morning. And uh, I read this text message, and I'm going to change the names in the text message, but I'm going to give you the idea of what it said. It said something like, uh, hi, is, is this Bill? Uh, this is Gertrude. We met at Johnny's, whenever, and uh, I'm, in, I'm in town for a few days. Would you like to get together? And so my immediate response was, I'm not Bill. Don't know Gertrude. Wrong number, right? So I just wrote, wrong number, send. Put the phone down. About five minutes later, uh, another text message 
follows, and it says, oh, sorry about that. That was cringy. I don't know what cringy means, but that's what was there. Cringy. I guess that's, that was weird, I guess. Uh, oh, sorry about that. Uh, here's my picture. What's your name? And I was like, uh, no. Deleted it, told my wife about it. That was the end of it. Later on, though, I thought, you know what? How quickly could someone ruin their life? How, I mean, just a little bit of sinful curiosity, right, is all it would take. And your life's ruined. I don't know what it would be for you. That wasn't tempting to me. I don't know what it would be for you. But sometimes there comes these moments in life where all it would take is just one mistake. And your integrity is gone. Now, can it be rebuilt? It's hard to rebuild integrity. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's hard. It's easy to lose. Proverbs 10.9 says this. I think I have it on the screen for you. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Let me say it again. Whoever walks with integrity walks securely. Whoever walks crooked paths, whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. When when you do the right thing, when you do the right thing, you don't lie awake at night hoping no one finds out you did the right thing. That's not how it works, right? You don't lie awake at night and think, oh man, I really hope no one finds out that I turned that wallet in that I found uh, and I didn't take any money out of it and I just, I turned it in. I really hope no one finds out about that. In fact, you might think, man, I hope whoever gets this, you know, tracks me down and, and maybe there's a reward or maybe there's some recognition. I saw that was on, so every once in a while you see this on the news or someone does something, you know, with integrity and like people are shocked, like someone did this. And, and it, which is kind of sad, right, that people would be shocked that someone did the right thing. Uh, and, and maybe secretly you would think, man, I hope that happens to me. But you're not lying awake at night, man, I hope no one finds out I did the right thing. might lie awake at night wondering, man, I hope, or afraid, I hope no one finds out I did the wrong thing. My parents, my parents used to say this, and, and I probably have said it to my kids too. You know, they said, uh, Mark, we, we might not always know what you do, but God does. Your parents ever say that to you? I'm, I'm sure I've said it to my kids. God always knows. And then they use this. Be sure your sins will what? You heard it too, right? That's where it comes from. It comes from this verse. Be sure your sins will find you out. God knows. God sees. There's nothing that you and I do or say that God doesn't know about. If you say to yourself, I hope 
no one finds out about this, whatever this is, you're probably not being tempted to do the right thing. Could we agree on that? And to that, I would say this as a challenge to you and to me, to our hearts together, integrity, losing your integrity is not worth it. Whatever the this is, it's not worth it. Losing your integrity, whatever it is, is not worth it. On the other side of that, a life of integrity, if you and I live a life of integrity, our lives can't be shaken. That's what this verse is saying. You walk securely. You have a clean conscience. You can lay your head down at night and, and you can sleep and, and not, be, not wake up in the middle of the night hoping, oh man, I hope I don't get busted. I hope I don't get caught. Losing your integrity is never worth it. Some of you know this story though, right? Some of you know what happens next. And so I'm going to read that part of the story, but some of you, because you know what happens next, you might be thinking, okay, we read this verse, it says a life of integrity, your life won't be shaken, but you know what's coming. And you're like, well, is that true? Because Joseph's life is about to get jacked up again. His life is about to get rattled again. And he did the right thing. Look, look what happens next. It says, uh, you know, he, he runs away, does the right thing. And in verse 16, she kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Actually, let me back up. I, I skipped ahead a little bit. Uh, verse 13. Let's start there. Verse 13. She saw that her, uh, she was holding the cloak and that Joseph had fled, and she called out to her servants. They came in. She says, look, my husband uh, has brought this Hebrew slave here to make a fool of us. He came into my room and he raped me. I screamed. When he heard me scream, he, he, he ran outside. He got away, but here's his coat. Tells her husband the same story when he gets home. He, she said, this Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come and fool around with me. But I screamed and he ran away, leaving his, his cloak with me. She doesn't even keep her story straight. doesn't matter. He gets thrown in prison. Did the right thing. And look what happens. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about Joseph, uh, how he had treated her. And so he took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. You might be thinking, wait a minute, Joseph did the right thing. He did the hard thing, and his life got shaken up anyway. Joseph, you think about Joseph and his dad. Joseph did the right thing, told his dad the truth, got sold into slavery. Here, he does the right thing, doesn't sleep with his boss's wife. She lies about it, and he gets put in jail anyway. You're like, man, you are not making this integrity thing look super positive. What do, we, what do we do when doing the right thing doesn't get rewarded like we think it should? What do we do with that? What if, what if I lose my job? What if you lose your job because you won't falsify the paperwork? You do the right thing, and you get fired? What if you lose a friend because you wouldn't lie for them? What if you do the right thing, and then someone lies about you 
Integrity means that we do the right thing even when it's the hard thing. And watch this. Here's the last part of this definition I'm going to give you. It means then that we trust God with the results. Do the right thing even when it's the hard thing, and then just trust God with the results. What happened to Joseph? It wasn't right. It wasn't fair. It wasn't just. But he did the right thing, and he kept his integrity And the thing I love about Joseph's story is that no matter how many unfair, unjust things happened to Joseph, and there's a bunch more, he just kept doing the right thing, even when it was the hard thing. He kept trusting God with the results. And what we see is even, even when, it does, when, when things don't turn out the way that they, we think that they should, God just kept blessing Joseph. Yeah, none of these things were pleasant, and there's more. The next scene is, is just as unpleasant. You know, the way some of these people, they, they make promises and they don't keep them. There's, there's a bunch of stuff. But God just keeps blessing Joseph because he holds on to his integrity. Remember when uh, he gets sold into slavery and then it says that God's favor is on him and he blesses him in Potiphar's house and, and then he rises up. Well, we see the same thing. He goes to prison and uh, shouldn't be there. But it says in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, showed him his faithful love. The Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. God just kept blessing Joseph. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of the other prisoners and everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed because he had integrity. His life couldn't be shaken. Remember when my parents, I said my parents told me, listen, God sees, God knows. Well, He doesn't just see the failures. God doesn't just see the shortcomings in our lives. God also sees when we do the right thing. Even when nobody else knows that you did the right thing, God knows, God sees. And that's all that really matters. Jesus talked about this in Matthew. We're done in Genesis. Uh, if you want to look at this real quick with me. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about doing the right thing, but why are you doing it? Right? He, he talked about our motives, and He says in Matthew 6, verse 1, Watch out, don't, don't do your good deeds publicly so that you can be admired, admired by others. If you do that, you'll lose your reward from your Father in heaven. Do the right thing, but make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Verse 2, when you give to someone in need, an example of doing the right thing, don't do it as the hypocrites do it, where you're blowing trumpets in the synagogues and in the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. A figure of speech, right? You get what Jesus is saying there. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. The picture of, of integrity. Doing the right thing because God says it's the right thing, because He's the one you want to glorify because he's the one that you want to honor because he's the one that says this is the right thing to do and even if nobody else knows about it you know that god knows 
And you know that He'll reward you. However God chooses to reward you, let that up to Him. Let the results up to God. Do the right thing. Not because you want to be noticed, not because you want to be recognized, not because you want to be praised, because you want all of that glory to go to God. I, had, I heard this story about a, a highly respected home builder, and he worked for this really big company building high-end homes, like these really expensive high-end homes, this huge company. And he worked for them for about 40 years, and he was thinking about retiring. And so he went to his, his boss, and he said, uh, I, I, I'm at the season in my life where I really feel like my wife and I want to transition to spending more time with our grandkids, and our kids live different places, and we'd like to be able to go visit them more, and, and uh, I feel like it's time for me to retire. And uh, you know, the boss is like, well, maybe a few more years and this and that. And he said, you, you know, we have people that when they come to our company, they, they uh, specifically ask that you uh, would be the one that we put on their home project. Like, we don't want to lose you. Understand that I appreciate it, but it's just it's time. And uh, so what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to finish. I'm working on five homes right now. I'm going to finish those five homes, and I'm going to retire. And he, he, on several conversations, you can you can imagine how this is going back and forth between this guy and a boss. You know, don't retire, whatever. No, I'm going to finish the five homes, and I'm going to retire. He finished all five homes, did his best, uh, always worked with excellence. Boss calls him in and to, into the office and said, look, uh, I you did a great job. You always do a great job. Uh, would you build one more home? Just one. Please. And he was kind of offended. The guy was like, I told you. Uh, no, I, I, I told you I would finish the five. I kept my promise. I did what I said I was going to do. And, and the boss just was like, please, for me, just one more home. And then that's it, just one more. All right. So he agreed to do it, but his heart wasn't in it. Didn't really want to do it. And so, and so he, didn't, he didn't give it his best. He didn't do things with excellence. He cut, excellence. He, he cut corners, and, and he's like, eh, I can't see from my house. You know, that kind of attitude, like, eh, whatever. Uh, just get it done. And so when the house was complete, you know, he, he wasn't proud uh, of the work that he did. He knew he didn't give it his best. His boss shows up at the, at the house, and it's all done. And, and uh, he, the boss says to him, look, you've been faithful all these years, and... Um, we just want you to know that our company really values all that you've done for us. And as a gesture of how much we value, here's the keys. This is your home. Listen to me. We are all building our own home. You're building your own home. Every decision that you make, every decision that I make, we're building our legacy. You get that? And you can have solid integrity, years and years and years of solid integrity, and all it takes 
if you've got solid integrity, like maybe, maybe you've done some things and you blew your integrity, and it can be rebuilt. God's grace, God's mercy, it's hard, but it can be done. But if you've got solid integrity, don't ever, don't ever compromise and give that up. Nothing is worth it. Nothing is worth it. Integrity is easy to lose, so keep giving God your best. And when you're tempted to compromise, and every one of us will be tempted to compromise, when you're tempted to compromise, remember that integrity is not worth losing. When you're tempted to lie on, on a resume just so you can get that job, to falsify that report so you can fool the boss or fool the investor or fool the customer so that you look good or you get this bonus or whatever. Tempted to cheat on that exam so that you can get a better grade. Tempted to exaggerate the story or distort the story so that you look better in the story. Tempted to to look at pornography and tell yourself it's not really cheating. Tempted to lie about your age, lie about your kid's age to get the discount. Ooh, too close? It's not not worth it. Losing your integrity is never worth it. I'm going to leave you with this challenge, right? Here's the challenge. Sometime today, I don't even mean like this week, like if you get to it. I mean sometime today. I want to challenge you to to just take a personal inventory of your life. And it might be helpful to do with your spouse. It might be helpful to do as a family, and that's fine. But at some point today, take an inventory of your life. And here's some of the questions that I want you to either ask yourself or just have a conversation with someone that you love and trust. A couple questions. Uh, Is is there some, have we done some compartmentalization in our lives? Where, uh, where I live this way in this part of my life, and I live this way in this part of my life, and oh, I keep, it, I keep this part of my life completely separate, and I just, I've got my own way of living in this part of my life. If that's going on, it needs to change. If you're going to follow Jesus and live a Jesus-centered life, that has to change. You, we've got to have a commitment that we follow Jesus in every aspect, every area of our lives, all of it. Are there inconsistencies in our lives where we say we believe this, but we live this? We claim that Jesus is our Lord. We claim we live this Jesus-centered life or that we want to. But is there an area of our lives that doesn't match up? Like, the, this is what I say I believe, but this is what I actually do. If, that, if you're answering those questions like, yeah, there's some inconsistency, there's some compartmentalization, then here's the challenge. Do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. Confess that to the Lord. Receive His cleansing of forgiveness and let Him change you. That's the hard thing, right? The change is the hard thing. Confess it. It's not right. I own it. It needs to change. Cleanse me, Lord, and and change me. Change my heart, change my thinking, change my behavior, change my words. Whatever it is, change me. Do the the work in me that needs to be done for this to change. Do the hard thing. Live with integrity. 